0: This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Hello friends, welcome back to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. My name is Shlomo Buxbaum. I'm happy that you are here for today's episode. It is a solo episode, just me. And the reason is because I want to talk about this time of year. I want to talk about the fast day that's coming up in just a couple of days, Asara Beteves, the 10th of Teves, and other interesting aspects of this time of year. We have so many great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, fascinating conversations that I'm excited to share with you. But due to the fact that it is a fast day this week, and I believe a powerful and really awesome time of year, I didn't want to just gloss over it, especially Asar Batavius, because it's a kind of a short day, and it's kind of stuck in in the middle of the year. Sometimes we it could just be forgotten about. Um, and uh, this is just great. There's some great, powerful Torah that I want to share with you. So solo episode today and more conversations coming up next week i also want to apologize if i sound a little a little sniffly um that's just because it is once again that time of year it's just you know lots happen this time of year and one of it one of one of those things is cold season so um if you can just bear with me i hope that my voice is not too disturbing for you and if we can just take a little bit of time just a couple of minutes today to study together a little bit about the essence of this time of year. Before we speak about the actual fast day that's coming up, before we speak about Asara Beteves, which again is going to be, well, this year it comes out, it's, let's see, December 22nd, 2023, this year, it's coming up on Friday. Um, But before we speak about the actual fast day, I want to share with you Another interesting idea. If I were to ask you the following question. Here we have Hanukkah just passed. It's behind us. And now if you walk through the streets, again, I live in Maryland in the D.C. area. I'm not sure where you're tuning in from. But if you are anywhere in the U.S. and probably you know anywhere outside of Israel, you walk through the streets. And it is, it is holiday season for the rest of the world. We see Christmas trees and lights and all sorts of things. It's holiday season. And... Um, if I were to ask you a, a funny question, it'd be like, you know, how is it you supposed to relate to this time of year? Like what are we how are we supposed to connect to what's going on in the world around us, it being holiday season? Well, that probably sounds like a very funny question. You probably think to yourself, well, it has absolutely nothing to do with me whatsoever it's not my holiday we have our hanukkah they have their christmas they have their lights right and 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 one has nothing to do with the other you know obviously (laughs) you know the old joke is that like hanukkah became so popular in america because it comes right around christmas time but that's just coincidental and they have their lights and we have our lights and they happen to align more or less the same time of year uh but really one has nothing to do with the other and if you're a jew this has nothing to do with you well that makes a lot of sense i i see why you would say that um but i think that it would also be silly to dismiss the similarities between the two and between how they celebrate and how we celebrate and uh and 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 to not acknowledge the fact that actually the two holidays are much more connected than you know than perhaps you know the typical human being realizes and if I could share with you just a fascinating piece of Talmud that I think will shed a lot of light on this time of year and what it means from a Jewish perspective. The Talmud, this is in Tractate Avodazara, uh, Avodazara, Daf Ches Amur Aleph, which is 8a in Talmud Avodazara. And it's quoting, and the, it, it, the Mishnah it quotes a Mishnah. The Mishnah says that these are, the Mishnah is actually speaking about pagan holidays or certain pagan holidays. And the Mishnah lists two pagan holidays, one that seems to be called Kalenda, that's the way it's quoted in the Talmud, Kuf Lamed Nun Dalarab, Kalenda, and the other is Saturnura, which I think is more well known as the pagan holiday of Saturnalia. And the Talmud goes on to explain that these were pagan holidays, which both surrounded the winter solstice. The first one, Kalenda, was eight days prior to the winter solstice. And Saturnalia was eight days after the winter solstice. Now, Saturnalia, which, which was Saturn, was the sun god in the pagan world. And these were pagan holidays that were meant. To celebrate the fact that it's the darkest time of year, the winter solstice is the, the darkest time. The days are the shortest and the nights are the longest, so it seems to be a dark time. And then suddenly things change. The days start getting longer, slowly, 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 and the sun the sun starts gaining uh, energy, gaining attention. You know, so it seems to be showing that the pagan god Saturn is gaining strength. Okay, so that's Saturnalia. And uh, what do we care about a pagan holiday? Why is that relevant? So as far as I understand from a more historian perspective, the holiday, the Christian holiday of Christmas, which I I believe is meant to celebrate maybe the the birth of Jesus. I don't know. But I think that if you go back to the historical roots of it, I think that it's pretty much acknowledged that actually um, uh, Jesus was not was actually not born this time of year but when the christian church was trying to expand its it's doing its outreach expand its reach so it was converting a lot not only the people but it was converting a lot of the holidays taking many of the pagan holidays and trying to give them a christian spin to it in order to bring the pagans over into the church so it is widely believed that actually what christmas was was actually a transformation of the pagan holiday of saturnalia that came this time of year which was celebrated the way pagans i believe that when pagans celebrated their holidays it was kind of chaotic it wasn't you know like in a very wholesome respectful way so when they were trying to bring them over they said listen you have your party days you don't want to give them up so let's just give it kind of like a christian spin to it and then we can take these holidays and you know bring them over to ours so that's interesting and again still sounds like it has nothing to do with us it's just an interesting spin on how we understand you know the the, the xmas there that holiday how we understand it and understanding that actually its roots are somewhat different than you know what, what many people assume that it is what does this have to do with us and again, this is just what I'm trying to do over here is try to get a sense of the energy. For those of you who listen to this podcast for a long time, you know that one of the things that I'm fascinated about is is, is time and the power of time and the energy of time. And, you know, we, we have actually had, maybe we'll link it in the podcast, we'll link it in the show notes over here. But um, we had a whole series on the energy of the Jewish months in the beginning of, of, of each month. And maybe I'll link Teves over here in the show notes so you can learn more about the month of Teves. But I'm fascinated by the energy of time and the lessons that it has to teach us. So to understand this whole time of year, I want to quote to you the next part of the Talmud, and then we'll connect it to the fast day that's coming up as well. The Talmud goes on, and it says, Our Rabbis teach us, Lifi she adam harishon, Yom I'm not going to read this whole thing in Hebrew, but just the beginning of it. The Talmud says, the Talmud goes back and the Talmud tells us a story about the very first soulful human being, Adam, as in Adam in the garden, Adam of Adam and Eve fame. It tells us about Adam. It says that after Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and he was evicted. Him and Eve, they were evicted out of Gan Eden, out of the Garden of Eden. And what happened was, the days started getting shorter. And it says that Adam Harishon, Adam saw that the days were getting smaller. Amar, he said, Oili, woe is to me. Shema Bishvil Sorahti, olam chashuch. Maybe it's because I did something wrong. Maybe I totally messed up the world. We know that he was cursed after he ate from the tree. It was cursed. And uh, the curse was that there should be death, there should be mortality imposed onto the world. After the eating of the Garden of Eden was when he was decreed that he should be just a more human being. The Gan consciousness was higher, expanded consciousness, revealed connection to God. After he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden that was lowered and it became one of turmoil, hadas tovira, a pull between good and evil, free will as we know it, where man is inclined towards inclined towards lust, etc. So he's like, oh gosh, I messed up this whole system. The whole world is getting dark. I literally brought blackness onto the world and it's just going to get darker and darker and darker. And it says that during that time, as he saw the world getting darker, he designated eight days where he sat in repentance and fasting and prayer out of concern that he actually just messed up the whole system. Then, kivan tekufat teves, when it came the month of Teves, not necessarily right in the beginning of the month of Teves, but Tkuvas Teves as the winter solstice came about, and suddenly Ra'a Yom Shema VaHolech. I'm still reading from the Talmud. He saw that the day started getting longer, and Omar, he said, "Oh, Min Hagoshololamu." <laughs> this was actually this is how nature works. This is how the natural cycle works. This is not my fault. This is not going to be something that I totally messed up. But actually, this is the, the cycle of the world. It gets darker, and then it gets lighter again. So it goes on, the Talmud goes on and says that he established that those days should be a holiday. And the Talmud, this piece of Talmud ends, it says, "Who kav'am l'shem shamayim, that when Adam Arishin established it, he thought that this was going to be a holiday that was going to be a holiday for God, for heaven, a monotheistic holiday. Can't really call it a Jewish holiday because this was before Judaism. There are thousands of years before Judaism, but he thought that it would be a holy monotheistic day. <speaking in Hebrew> However, the pagans took that day and they turned it into a Pagan, a polytheistic uh, time of year, a polytheistic, but pagan festival. So now, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, comes on something very interesting. It sounds over here that Adam established an eight day festival of lights, right? A holiday celebrating the winter solstice of eight days, which was hijacked, stolen away by the pagans and turned into an eight-day festival that was anything but holy then christianity came along and they took that holiday and made it a christian holiday in order that now the pagans would come over and and i guess with that you know actually became a very nice time of year a very actually peaceful and loving time of year you know, if i may say <laughs> it's actually like it's nice to god it's nice to see the lights it's nice to you know if you enjoy i don't personally you know love all the jingles but it's a there's certain feels to this time of year right but so they change the energy of it but if you hear what the talmud is saying it actually goes back It, it it points to the origins to the roots of this time and shows that actually this was a holy time of year now, the Talmud doesn't say this, but I think w- one has to wonder, because, you know, whenever it comes Hanukkah, and obviously the Talmud says Hanukkah is connected specifically to the War of the Greeks and the, the Miracle of the Menorah, and obviously all of that is true. That being said, we're always looking for biblical roots to Hanukkah, right? When there's Many many of the mystics talk about all the different places that we see Hanukkah in the Torah, hints to Hanukkah in the Torah. We see it in the fact that 25 words into the Torah is the word or is the word light. And later on, when the Torah is discussing the holidays, suddenly it's talking about the menorah and the temple and why should it be? All different places in the Torah where we see hints to Hanukkah. It seems that our mystics always look to find something deeper in the Hanukkah story. And I don't know. Who knows? Perhaps... our our sages, when they established Hanukkah as a holiday, they were also in tune with the fact that this time of year was destined to have an eight-day festival celebrating light, except the way that it was originally established was hijacked, was taken, did become something else, so they reinstituted it under a new uh, brand called <laughs> hanukkah I, again i don't know maybe maybe this is too much to say, but again, it does not seem so far fetched right we're talking about an eight day holiday of lights, which again might have been the the precedent to establish another eight day holiday of lights right but either way either way whether um whether what i'm saying is correct or it's absolutely ridiculous, the point is that we see that celebrate that creating a holiday around the winter solstice seems to be something that has actually very firm and holy roots going all the way back to Adam who wanted, to, who wanted to actually make it a, a holiday of holiness. And therefore, based on that, what, what does that do? I'm not in any way recommending that we should all go out and you know get Christmas trees. That's not at all what I'm, what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is to not minimize the fact that there's something happening this time of year that is important and that is relevant and that has an energy that we can tap into. We'll return to that in a few minutes, but I want to talk now a little bit about the fast day, understand the fast day, and then maybe at the end, we can kind of, you know, pull pull all of this together and make it all make sense. So we have a fast day coming up, it is Asar Teves, and there is the primary reason for the fast day, but there are other reasons that contribute to the day, other events that happened over the course of this week, the days leading up to the 10th of Teves. So the destruction of the first temple. We have, in the summertime, two fast days. One of them is Tisha B'Av, usually comes around August, and Tisha B'Av is a day that commemorates the destruction of both the second, both the first and the second temple. We also have a day that's three weeks before that, Shiva Asar Tamas, the 17th of Tamas, that's the day that commemorates the breaking through of the walls of Jerusalem that led to the destruction of the first temple. But now, on Asar several months before that, we have another day, and again, it gets lost because it's not packaged together with those other two, but the day of Asar is when the initial siege in the first temple period, the siege of Nebuchadnezzar, of the Babylonian Empire, the siege around Jerusalem, began on the 10th of Teves, and because of that, we have a day to commemorate that. now. I'm going to push the boundaries over here again a little bit and to say that one has to wonder about making a fast day on this day i mean we have a lot of we have a lot of sad days and you know that a lot of bad things happen to the jewish people throughout history we don't make a fast if we made a fast day out of each one we'd just be fasting all year and we'd be a lot thinner um, we don't so it's uh, it's it's interesting it's interesting that we make a fast especially because we have fast days and we have a whole three-week period that commemorates The destruction of the temple where we mourn the destruction of the temple what why is it necessary to have a fast day on the 10th of teves unless as i'm suggesting that everything that's happening this time of year is actually pointing to something much deeper that our sages were looking to highlight and and again perhaps this event and the other two events that i'm about to share with you they themselves Alone may not have necessarily been enough on their own to establish a fast day, but because our sages see something happening this time of year, and coinciding with those things, we have several events happening. You know, clustered together. The combination of that is, you know, our sages said we need a fast day. We need a day of bringing the Jewish people together for for in in, in holiness to really access, activate, awaken the 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 what the, the rectifications that need to happen during this time of year. So again, the first thing that we're commemorating is the siege on Jerusalem. Another two events that are connected to this day that didn't happen necessarily on the 10th of Tavis, but happened the days leading up to that. One, the Talmud says happened somewhat prior to the Hanukkah story. The Talmud in Megillah speaks about the Greek king Ptolemy, I think spelled P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, who brought together 72 sages, 72 scholars, separated them into 72 different rooms, didn't tell them why. And then when they were separated, he asked them to translate the Torah into Greek. And actually, the Talmud says of a very fascinating miracle that happened. They all translated it into Greek. And uh, they did it exactly the same, even though the Torah has so many interpretations. But in order that a great Kiddish Hashem, a sanctification of God's name, should come out, a really impressive product should come out, they all had the same ESP, the same divine insight to translate it the same way. Even at various points that that would require some change, not to translate it in the most literal way, because that could lead to some sort of heresy. And each one sort of had again this divine insight to tweak it, and they all tweaked it. The same, a great miracle. Now, if you're hearing this, you're probably wondering: Doesn't sound like such a disaster? Sounds actually like a very useful uh, project, especially for most of us that we do learn lots of our Torah in English. Um, Translations are very, very helpful. I use translations all the time. You know, why would this be such a such a tragedy, such a travesty? And the the answer that's given, the explanation that's given is that yes while translation if used purely as a as a gateway to access the torah with an understanding that the torah is deep and that the torah is beautiful and 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 that that the the lush and kodesh the holy tongue of the torah cannot be replaced then it's actually a very useful service But the goal over here of translating the Torah to Greek was to somewhat try to turn the Torah into something that is academic and to replace the Hebrew of the Torah with the Greek language, which actually would take all of the beauty and the gorgeousness out of the Torah. And for those of you who are familiar, if you learn Talmud, or if you learn Kabbalah, you know that the richness of Torah, the magic of the Torah comes about when you're learning it is through the Hebrew text, it is through all of the brilliant things that the Talmud does when the Talmud is trying to, we have traditions of all these incredible laws and the rabbis challenge each other to find, where do you see this in the Torah? Where do you see it in the written Torah, right? We have all of these thousands and thousands of halachos of Jewish law and Jewish ideas, and then we look at the Torah and where do they see it, and the Talmud is full of this this beautiful beautiful exposition of the torah trying to find just the subtleties and the nuances and how a word here and a word over there an extra letter every uh, it's all of this comes together all, all these secret codes that are hidden kabbalah takes it to the next level through numerology I don't know, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you remember early, when I first started the podcast, at that point, we were still in the middle of COVID, and I was just posting the Zoom classes, so we did a series on the Kabbalah of the Hebrew alphabet. If you haven't heard that, I would really encourage you to go back to the early episodes and listen, it's a six-part series. We go through every single letter of the alphabet, showing how every letter contains in it a whole world, a whole message from the shape of it to the numerical value. I mean, the Torah is so brilliant, but you need to be able to access the holy tongue. So to take it and to turn it into Greek as a way of replacing it, of saying, this is just another book on your shelf next to the encyclopedia, uh, that was the, the travesty, that was the danger. Okay, so we have that, that, that happened on the 8th of Tevez, leading up to the 10th, and then there is one more incident, and that was the death of Ezra Hasopher, Ezra the scribe. Ezra was the prophet, one of the later prophets, one of the last of the prophets, and he was very influential in leading between the 1st and 2nd temple. He was very influential in getting jerusalem rebuilt in a way that the jewish people could come back from babylon and come back from persia after the after the purim story to come back and really when the jewish people were in disarray after 70 years between the first and second temple in exile and they had to come back and rebuild themselves as a nation many of which who had lost their flair lost their connection to torah practices Ezra instituted many of the things. He reshaped how we practice Judaism in many, many different innovations that he did, including the uh, the beginning of the writing of the prayer book and Torah reading on on Monday and Thursday, and many other innovations that began a way to, new innovations within Jewish practice to reinvigorate the Jewish people who were very much struggling at that point in time. So, here is an idea that I, I want to offer and that i want to share we have over here a powerful time of year the talmud says that right around the winter solstice was a time when the world gets darker and darker and darker and then it suddenly starts lighting up again we know that darkness in the world is also metaphoric we know that darkness is symbolic of difficult times difficult times that we have in our life Some people actually feel it this time of year, they say mortality rate rises in November and December. I personally have done more few who have officiated at more funerals this time of year than any other time of year. So darkness represents difficult times in our life. The shift that happens from the darkest time of the year to when it gets lighter is symbolic of the fact that even during the dark times, even when things are dark and even when things are difficult. There is the possibility of change. There is the possibility of discovering light. Often some of the greatest aspects of our growth as human beings are going to happen at the darkest times. We know this often just if you're in a relationship. We know that often when relationships are good and everything is going well, we don't often focus on little subtleties. And then we'll get into a fight or we'll go through a dark time in our relationship. And suddenly it'll highlight all the things that maybe we were just sweeping under the carpet. Real growth happens during those dark times. When we personally are feeling distant from Hashem, sometimes it gives us, the, it challenges us to look deeper and make those innovations within our life, those tweaks within our life that catapult us to climb higher and become closer to God. And I think that with this fast day, I think that perhaps if I may offer something original, um, perhaps what our sages were pointing to was the idea of the siege on Jerusalem. The idea of the Torah being translated into Greek. You know, the Torah is meant to be beautiful. Translating into Greek is hijacking that. Jerusalem is meant to be beautiful, but laying siege upon that is taking away Jerusalem from us. It's it's turning Jerusalem into a dark place, into a place of famine and hunger and destitution and desperation. The idea of this holiday, this time of year being turned into a pagan holiday, right? These are all aspects of the dark forces in the world, the darkness of the klipa as Kabbalah calls it, right? The potential for evil, taking the potential for holiness and hijacking it in all of these different ways. And it's symbolic of the fact that we ourselves also need to realize that in our own life, there are things that are beautiful, that are holy, that can often become stale, become hijacked. We could become Jews that just practice by rote. Yes, we're going to prayer every single day, but it's hijacked by the dark forces, by the klipa. when it becomes a pain in the neck and we're just doing it by rote and we're not infusing our full self into it. Or if we learn Torah and instead of really feeling the beauty of Torah, it's just another subject. Or Shabbat is just another day. That's the darkness that's symbolic of this time of year. That's the idea of a siege on Jerusalem, a translation of Torah into Greek, a, 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 a holiday turning into a pagan holiday. It's taking the things that are holy and it's hijacking it and, and, and allowing the force of the klipa, the evil forces that exist out there that are there for us to overcome, but allowing those things to take root, to take hold. And I think this time of year, the whole idea of Ezra, this is why I find Ezra so fascinating, is because Ezra was able to walk into a situation and say, okay, you know what? Judaism is not the same. We need to make innovations. We need to make tweaks. We need to make changes. We need to put Judaism back on its feet. I've always been fascinated with like these success stories where you hear of like, you know, new CEOs coming into companies that are like, you know, about to go into bankruptcy or about to fall apart and they come in and suddenly they're like, okay, you know, we need to restructure this. We need to do this and and do these layoffs and change positions and put this on. And suddenly they rebuild the company. The company's not dead. It just needs tweaking. It needs, it, it needs some change. It needs some revitalization. And I think this time of year, again, when we see that everyone's making these New Year's resolutions, I think it's an important time of year. I don't think that we should make light of it and be like, oh, this is not our time of year. This is our time of year. I think it's a wonderful time of year as the days get darker, but we know that there's something new, this freshness in the year that's coming to, like Ezra Sofer, to look and see what are the tweaks that we can make? What are the things that we can do to, gain our, uh, to regain that fire? You know, the, the holiday of Hanukkah is the only holiday that begins in one month, Kislev, and it goes into the next month, Teves And that's symbolic of the fact that the light of Hanukkah is meant to shine into Teves. We're not supposed to let go of Hanukkah after those eight days, but we're supposed to take Hanukkah into this dark time and use Hanukkah as a time to shift the direction to boost ourselves during this time of year. The previous month that we were in, was the the, the zodiac sign was Sagittarius, the bow, and we know that the bow pulls back, 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 and as it's pulling back, that's what gives it the momentum to release forward. And the same thing is true about a Jew when we fall, 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 when it seems like we're farther, farther away, it's just giving us the momentum to project ourselves forward. There's a lot more to say about that as well. But either way, I want to keep this somewhat short. I know we're almost at uh, 30 minutes. But again, it is a fast day. It's a powerful time of year. And I want to, I hope this added meaning to it. And again, I'm going to add some links in the show notes to previous episodes about the month of Teves, so, <coughs> so you could learn more about that. But hopefully, this time of year is a time that you can dig deep, find vitality, make some tweaks in your life to bring the joy and the fire and the simcha back into your life and into your Judaism. And uh, in that merit, hopefully we'll have no more reason to fast, but only reasons to celebrate and know only joy and vitality in our life. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to Rabbi shlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.